Welcome to the Smith and Rowland Show. Let's join our host, Alan Smith and Jeff Rowland. I am welcoming one and all to the Smith and Rowland podcast. So we greet you with salutations and say, hello, world. And with that, we are welcoming you into a show that will manifest brilliance and intelligence. So the one who leads the way, our great grand poobah, Alan Smith. Well, you had me a little scared there. <laughs> you but, didn't know uh, where I was going. I know. Yeah, no, I had no. I mean, the poobah about got me right there, but it's all right. I, about I, yeah, I can put my own definition to that. All right, Mister Roland, we <laughs> we jumped in a can of worms yesterday. I mean, yes, in we our did. brilliance, we did. And our you know, yes. and our intellect and our right. our suaveness just about got us in trouble. We were talking about church government. You know, it's possible that some people do not agree with our interpretation of church government. I'm sure, and, uh, but they can get their own podcast. That's that is true. That's that is true. true. But we were talking about this wonderful topic of church government. We've got our United States government. We got yes. Uh, some people just don't like government. Period. I mean, an engine, a gasoline engine, even has a government. Everything a has a government. You got to. It yeah. has to. If you don't, it just run crazy yeah. and wide open. So everything has to have a type of a government to hold things down, if you will, so it doesn't run so fast it blows up. So we've been yeah. talking about the church government. Yesterday we talked about you know single led, elder led, pastor led, plural yeah. elders, and we saw yesterday quickly that we were getting into a topic that was going to take a little more discussion. And I'm not so convinced that it won't even take a little more discussion after today. Yes, it's hard to cover so. 2,000 years of church government into podcast. That's so, right. Can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it can't That's do right. it. So as we you know, do this, I guess you could say, the study of church government in these podcasts we've had in the you know, organizational structures and the hierarchy of the church, you know, we've run into basically we came out of the Baptist type government. Well, you know, Baptists kind of went either pastor-led or plurality of, of elders, yeah. which they would call them deacons. And right. that's kind of our main, of course, we truthfully, we've been around long enough. We've been in and out of about all of them mm-hmm. to one degree or another. George Ladd says here, I want to quote him, Jeff. He said, it appears likely that there was no normative pattern of church government in the apostolic age. Good thought. And that the organizational structure of the church is no essential element in the theology of the church. Now, that is a very good point of everybody's wanting to have the perfect form. And George Ladd points out, basically, we didn't have just one form. Yeah, and that's that right. is our that's our reality today. And he separates in that quote, he separates the organizational structure from the theological structure mm-hmm. of the church. And I think that that's true. And people can say, you know, I've heard people say you have two, Alan. They're just tired of church politics. Well, let me tell you, there's politics in every church to the degree that it is emphasized is mainly due to the circumstances circumstances and situations that is arising in that particular church. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what church you go to, there's going to be situations that's going to arise that's going to create either an emphasis on the organizational structure of that church or the theological structure of that church. Uh And so those two things, I agree, should be separated and considered when you're talking about church government. Yes. And if you want to be critical, the criticism 
you know, you've got, is it organizational criticism or is it criticism of difference of theology? They tend to both get the argument or the criticism, and I mean constructive criticism here, that it has to be, there again, you kind of got to rightly divide uh, Mm -hmm. the actual church into two thought patterns. And then he goes on to say, it is is not as much as hinted in the New Testament that the church would ever need or indeed should ever want or tolerate any other local leadership than that of the eldership group. That was another one Mm -hmm. by J. Alec Moyer. So that's Mm -hmm. a, you know, we got hierarchical church. We got church that's governed, you know, Methodist churches. They appoint a pastor to a church for, what, three to five years, I think, as a general Mm -hmm. rule. And I'm more versed on that. But then we get into the Episcopal, you know, the Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Mm -hmm. Anglican, Mm -hmm. uh, some Lutheran churches. But you get more into the Episcopal form of governments. I'm not as versed in that, Jeff, even though I can make up a lot of good stuff. Let's give them a fair shake here. How do you define that and where do you see some problems? Well, the Episcopal form of government is what we would normally picture in our mind as the Catholic form of government that has a hierarchy that goes all the way up to one man that governs Mm -hmm. the entire church or the entire denomination, for lack of a better word. The papal idea. Yeah, it's the papal form of government, which Mm -hmm. we do need to to state that it is that form of government, I believe, that is going to rule during the tribulation time with Christendom and the apostate church. I think that's the form of government that will be used now, whether that you can argue on is that the apostate church is a Catholic church. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the form of government that is used to govern in the Catholic church will be the form of government used during the time of tribulation. And the one that is going to be the grand poobah of that system during the tribulation is going to be the false prophet. And it will go up to him because the Antichrist is not just a political leader that rules the world. He's also a religious leader that will rule the religious world. And so the hierarchy will go straight to him and he will control. So that form of government is what we see in the Roman Catholic Church. This article dates it back to Ignatius of Antioch and goes all the way to the time of Reformation. But the Catholic Church dates it back to Peter. So that's when you get into a different thing. And, and we probably won't have time to touch on it in this podcast, but maybe in podcast next week we can touch on. It goes back to the book of Ephesians, where we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers right. as the set structure or the theological side of the church. When you go back to the book of Acts, the book of Acts states that the congregation itself should choose out men that they called deacons to serve in matters of mercy and in matters of business so that the apostles could give themselves to prayer and the word of God. So there is that biblical model of splitting the organizational structure from the theological structure. I do believe that. I do believe that there is a plurality of people involved in both. I think that is the biblical model, but it does need to be considered even in this Episcopal form that we're seeing the rise of that across denominational lines. This is not just a Catholic thing. If you think about it in terms of you have the Methodist denomination has a governing body that convenes once a year by delegates from other churches 
that come mm-hmm. together and form a doctrinal pattern and a business pattern from a convention that is ruled over. Southern Baptists do the same thing. So there's all kinds of, even though there is autonomy in churches in these denominations, still that structure seems to be in place and church leaders seem to gravitate toward that structure of mm-hmm. there's a part of Episcopalian form of government in every denomination is what I'm trying to say. That's probably and, true. Yeah, it really seems to work that way down through history and even with what we see today in the Methodist denomination, for example. The great uh-huh. schism and split in that denomination started at a national level, in America right. at least. So you had a convention of the Methodists that ruled doctrinally over some issues regarding to homosexual lifestyles and transgender lifestyles. And because you had the autonomy of some churches, they split away. But from a business model, you and I have discussed that these autonomous churches had to buy out their own land. There was that in the organizational structure, there was that Episcopalian form that was there. And heaven help us, but there was also the doctrinal form that was in place. That's why there was that schism in the Methodist denomination. So this is not just a Catholic thing is what I'm saying. It's bled over into other denominations as well. Exactly. I I wonder if, as we're seeing this division of, well, I guess if you You know, a lot of the times when you try to make your claim and your origin is upon Peter as being Mm -hmm. the founding apostle, if you will, of your denomination, so to speak, that's reaching back pretty far to try to prove your existence is valid, even though we find that in Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholic Church. And as you already mentioned, you know, the great schism, but we had this division of those those two sects, if you will. Can I just ask you a question based on that, Alan? I don't Mm -hmm. want us to get off track, but since we're not in a hurry to finish through this line of thought in our podcast, I'm going to take advantage of something here. In the Roman Catholic faith, they date back the uh, succession of popes back to Peter. They don't date it back to to Paul. They go back to Peter, who was the apostle Yeah, who was the apostle over the Jews? I'm interested in the correlation of replacement theology that prevails among Catholic thinking and Mm -hmm. prevails among other denominational thinking. I'm interested in why they bypass the apostle to the Gentiles and go to the apostle of the Jews as their line of succession. There's an irony there that I can't quite get placed in my mind. Peter, the apostle to the Jews, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, they trace back their papacy to Peter Uh and they hold to a replacement theology. Is there a correlation Mm -hmm. there? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, if you would take all of Paul's writings out of the New Testament, then I would be in agreement. I wouldn't have much of a problem with the Roman Catholic Church or mm. Eastern Orthodoxy. But you got to take the writings of Paul out. That's right. All See, of them. the right. Yeah, you got to take them all out. If you yeah. take all the writings of Paul out, then you would be of that mindset. Now, the problem is if you leave the writings of Paul in the canon and you consider that scripture with everything, with all the other books, if you consider that as scripture, then you've got a problem, Houston. And it's yeah. because the apostle Paul is the one who had the revelation. You got the revelation of the church starts in Acts 2, but the apostle Paul comes along with this, the body of Christ terminology, the one new man, if you will. So the apostle Paul brings information to the table, Jeff, and he brings further explanation to terminology that 
Peter and the 12 didn't have. Yes. Now, right. I know that makes a lot of people go sideways, but it's just the truth. Yeah. And so if you don't make that distinction between Paul and Peter, if you don't take, now, do they both include some of the messages of each other? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But you got to make a distinction with Paul and Peter because Paul is bringing something different, not different. Paul's bringing greater explanation to the table of these people called the Gentiles. Gentiles was a minor, not a major. It was, in God's plan, Jews were the major. Gentiles was the minor. When the Apostle Paul come along, he showed, by revelation, that the Gentiles was a major, and the Jews were a minor. And then, after Acts 28, 28, Paul said, hey, y'all, there's no difference. Jew nor Gentile. And so after Acts 28, 28, Paul brings more revelation to the table that brings understanding is what long as God is dealing with the nation Israel, and he did for 32 years. In the book of Acts, God, Paul went to the Jew first until, so God fooled with Israel for 30 years that Mm -hmm. you need to repent. You killed the Messiah. They refused. So after Mm -hmm. 30 years, then Paul did not go to the Jew first. So you have to understand, if you cannot make that distinction, if you cannot understand what I just said, you are, will be a victim of replacement theology. And you Even will also be a victim, and you yeah. will also be a you victim will be, of the Episcopalian form of government in a church. Yes. Which you would be stuck which, there. Yeah, and it basically what it's doing is, and the reason I say take the writings of Paul out, basically that's what it's doing. And it's denying the priesthood of the believer. You cannot hold to replacement theology or an Episcopalian form of government and still hold to the priesthood of the believer. You can't reconcile it. There's no harmony. But one thing with, they do do is they're saying that the priesthood of the believer replaces any of the priesthood of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's one way mm-hmm. they do that. And I'm not saying mainstream, but I am saying some of the replacement theology is that. And so it has a, um, how can I say, to not make that distinction is the greatest error. One of the greatest errors you can make in trying to understand what God's saying through his holy word. That distinction well, yeah, and, don't, has to and be wouldn't made. you think then in terms of that, that the Episcopalian form of government with a hierarchy of priests that you have to go to to confess your sins uh-huh. and to find absolution for your sins and forgiveness. That is part of the Episcopalian form of government. And the reason they're there is because they are embracing a type of replacement theology in that the church has replaced Israel and that that's what you have to do. I'm saying that that Episcopalian form of government in a church is akin to a replacement theology type thought process. And that's what rules in the Catholic church. We do know that. So that rulership denies Paul's writings, even though in some terminology, they would even agree with Paul's writings and say that, but they're allegorizing what Paul says and making it symbolistic to what their form of government in the church is. I'm not saying that there's nobody in the Catholic faith that's not saved. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that their form of government is the apostate form of government used during the tribulation time, and that form of government leads to a replacement theology process of thought in our day today. Well, listen, it's it's a sad day 
that God has to replace something that he's already said. God doesn't ever have to do that. He said that's it right, right the first time. He said yeah. it right the first time. He said I think it right the first time. I think, <laughs> I think that's where my daddy got it from. Yeah, <laughs> right. He'd say, okay, I said that's it right the first time, and I'm not saying yeah. it but one time. That's right. Don't and, have to say uh, it but once. That's right. Don't have to say it but once. And so yeah. that I think that's the, in truly handling scripture correctly, the Bible can be easily understood if you keep it mm. simplistic. That's and right. You're, yeah. You just got to keep it the simplicity of the gospel and let yeah. the words mean what they say where he says it. And so when you have the, I don't know, I know we tend to end up on replacement theology all the time, but Jeff, that is the biggest culprit in our life. Listen, to not make the distinction between the Jew and Gentile, and especially in these last days, is the greatest of all. And it isn't a distinction, but it's a refusal to allow the Jewish nation be who God created them to be. Absolutely, it is. It's and, that refusal and, of yes. allowing them to be. And historically, it goes all the way back to the first century and the foundation of the organizational structure of the church that was set in place and then later validated at the Council of Nicaea and other councils. It was validated as an approved organizational structure based off of that theological doctrine of replacement theology. That's what uh-huh. validated the papal form of government that has such governmental power, political power, Uh and church power. So that's the correlation I wanted to make is that this replacement theology thing is not a new thing. It dates all the way back to the beginning organizational structure of what we know as the early church. And there again, you and I can see, and many others do too, that that, there's a crossroads there in theological understanding. If you take the wrong road, guess what? It will lead you to the wrong destination. Absolutely. Every time. That's what the Episcopal, right? Then we get down into the Presbyterian type, Mm -hmm. I guess, Presbyterian. And it's also this article here, Jeff says, Reformed Churches. This has been an interesting one to you and I with the John MacArthur. You know, he's Reformed, but I'm not sure if he's Reformed Presbyterian or Baptist or he's got some (laughs) Baptocostal Presbyterian dispensation. Uncles and aunts somewhere. John MacArthur defines himself, this is his words, not mine, as a leaky dispensationalist. That's how he (laughs) defines himself in theological (laughs) terms. And can I tell you, whatever people think about John MacArthur, the way he defined that and the way he said that of himself, I had to relate to it and say, I'm the same way. That's who I am. I'm a leaky dispensationalist. It's got some holes in it that I acknowledge and even embrace. And he does the same thing. Presbyterians, we talked about a little bit yesterday and that elder run or presbyter run assembly. They much in the same Uh way as we was talking about earlier with Methodists and even Southern Baptists have that hierarchical form of government where churches have autonomy, but it's a loosely held convention type thing where things are kind of voted on at the top, discussed at the top as far as doctrine, as far as organizational structure, and then churches through autonomy can choose to embrace whatever they choose to embrace. Even among Lutherans, Alan, there's a lot of that in the Lutheran form of government, as well as the Presbyterian form of government, the Methodist form of government, and even more loosely in the Baptist, but it's there. So the thing that I wanted to point out is this Episcopalian foundation 
has crept its way into the New Testament church in such a way that even to those who would disagree with it and say out loud, oh, that's a horrible organizational structure, they're participating in that same structure, kind of unknowing to themselves. And so it has accepted, it's kind of crept its way into who we are in many cases, not every case. There's some autonomous Uh churches out there that is completely free from everyone. And then you run the risk of being so independent that you're independent of yourself and can't get along with nobody, you know, so (laughs) that done that. Yeah, that happens as well. So, you know, I don't hold to that, but we did talk about the pastor run and the elder run churches that are part of that Presbyterian form of government, but you get down to congregational rule and this congregational polity, it says, draws its name from the independent. Go ahead. Are they not more historically more Calvinistic in their theology? Theologically speaking, yes, they are. They embrace John Calvin and Calvinism. John Knox, I think, from the Scottish Reformation. That's right. Uh, right. So they're more, and that explains that part of John MacArthur also. Yes, it does. uh, Where he is. He's a dispensational Calvinist. If you can imagine. And uh, really, but, that's exactly right. He is. John MacArthur does not embrace replacement theology. In no, no uncertain no, terms, no. John MacArthur no. makes that distinction and says that there is a plan of God for the nation of Israel and there is a plan of God for uh-huh. the church. Now, if we can say, uh-huh. Alan, when you get to dispensational thinking, what is creating those in that Calvinist or Reformed denomination to embrace dispensationalism as a system of Bible hermeneutics, what's causing that is is that there's so many of them that still believe in a rapture of the church. So their eschatology causes them to look backward through a dispensational lens. You and I was was raised at least, and you too really, that we Uh looked at dispensationalism front to back instead of back to front. We arrived at a rapture of the church because of our dispensational view of New Testament teaching and the distinction that was made in the book of Acts between Peter and Paul. So that being said, MacArthur is looking, you know, he may correct me on this, but it appears as though the way he views the book of Revelation causes him to be a dispensationalist looking backward. And he would state that he's a leaky dispensationalist and some, and I would, me too, but where I'm leaky He's not, and where he's leaky, I'm not. It's almost an eschatology thing with John MacArthur, and that's where we would harmonize with him. But most Presbyterians are Calvinistic and embrace the sovereignty of God as the pinnacle of their theological basis anyway. Right. Well, I'll tell you what's the truth, Jeff. There's so many different mixtures up here that people, there's no wonder. I don't, it's hard for a lost man to get in, isn't it? I mean, usually when you're lost, you're confused, and I'm not so sure we're given a very unified front on scripture, but evidently God doesn't, is not bothered by it too much because he allows us to continue to do it. That's then right. we get into yes. what you were saying there about the congregational. Let's hit on it. We got about 60 seconds here, Jeff, but we can also pick up here tomorrow. But yeah. what is the congregational yeah. kind of the policies and what's the difference in that one and these other yeah. ones? Their emphasis and definition. Con- yeah. And it's all about that. That's what all these different governing forms, it's what they emphasize. Congregational polity draws its name from the independence of local congregations, from the authority okay. and control of other religious bodies. And that's congregationalism. And there's actually a denomination of congregationalists. 
Yes. And uh, it's not as big today as it used to be, but it was birthed out of revival. It was birthed out of a, wow. a move of God. And Alan, of course, if we was to study the different denominations, we would learn that all of them were basically birthed out of a move of the they Spirit were. of God That's that right. has different emphasis. And the emphasis, I think, is what we need to embrace in our day-to-day to arrive where we need to be at. But congregational uh-huh. rule is basically based on independence and the autonomy of each local church. And that embraces doctrines such as the priesthood of the believer to its fullest, that I have an advocate yeah. with the Father. It's not another man. It's Jesus Christ. And that's, right. the, that's the connection doctrinally to their organizational structure of being autonomous. And that's what yes. most of what, in our area at least, that's what most people gravitate to. So the truth wins out in the end, and you're left with a remnant of believers and an apostate church, an apostate structure. And it's that apostate structure that's taken through the time of tribulation. It's the remnant that's raptured out. Well, Jeff, listen, we've run out of time here today as we're doing this church governments. And I think it's incredibly interesting to me, and I hope it is to mm-hmm. our listeners. And we'll probably get a little more controversial stuff tomorrow. Well, actually, it'll be Monday. It'll be Monday on our be Monday. The next yep. podcast. And we'll pick up there. So sharpen your sword as we do our podcast. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, Roy, have a good one. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining today's Smith & Rowan Show. You can check out our website at kingdompropheticsociety.org and our daily unplugged podcast at smithandrowanshow.podbean.com. You can also join us on Amazon, Apple, or Spotify.